You're listening to the Crossing DE podcast from The Crossing in Milton, Delaware, a community dedicated to developing devoted followers of Jesus. All right, yes. Hey, church. How are you? Doing all right today? It's good to see many of your faces today. Welcome. Yay. Hey, you probably don't know the name Charlie Taylor. If you were to ask his friends about him, they would probably say he's a quiet guy. Uh, he had a, a, a penchant for good cigars, and uh, he was mechanically inclined, could do a lot of things with his hands. Some may have even considered him a mechanical genius. Like many geniuses, Charlie dropped out of school uh, at age 12, sort of disinterested, and, and went to work actually at a newspaper in their processing department. And it wasn't too many uh, years after that where he moved to their binding department because of his uh, propensity for mechanics. A number of years later, Charlie Taylor uh, met two guys who recruited him to be part of their company for a whopping 18 bucks a week. The two men who recruited Charlie, you uh, have probably heard of, their names were Orville and Wilbur Wright, and they brought Charlie in and gave him the task of developing an engine that was light enough and yet powerful enough to actually fly. And after several more years of hard work and ingenuity, uh, Charlie Taylor designed the engine that the Wright brothers eventually used on December 17, 1903 to fly 120 feet in the air. And Charlie Taylor's relationship with Wilbur and Orville Wright changed the course of history. And if you and I were to walk backwards through history, we would find all these kinds of things, uh, these moments where history was defined and, and changed and the courses were charted, and it happened all for these kinds of encounters. Maybe it's Charlie Taylor and the Wright brothers, or in 1874, Alexander Graham Bell encountered a guy named Thomas Watson, which led to the invention of the telephone. Henry Ford encounters Thomas Edison, who speaks so boldly and vividly into his life that the Ford Motor Company becomes a reality. Steve Jobs encounters Steve Wozniak, and in 1970, Apple Computers begins. Or even the chance encounter of a nurse and her post-op patient, which led to, well, my brothers and sister and I. <laughs> Changed my history, at least. <laughs> Throughout the Gospels, we read about people encountering this guy named Jesus. Some of them walked away sad. Some of them walked away discouraged. Some of them walked away asking the question, how could we ever follow this guy with all the things he's asking us to do? But others walked away on their own two feet for the very first time. Others walked away seeing for the first time in their lives. Others walked away with this newfound truth. Others walked away uh, maybe being healed from demons that had possessed them for, for so many years. Yeah, if we walk back through time, we're certainly going to see encounters that change the course and direction of things, but we would never encounter a man who has changed more people than Jesus of Nazareth. Over the last 2,000 years, people have been encountering this man, Jesus, and for many of those people, their lives have never been the same. And today, I want us to see another one of those encounters. In fact, this encounter is, is another encounter between Jesus and this man named Simon, or who we probably better know him as Peter the Rock. Simon was a fisherman. It's what he did. It's what his family did. It was his lot in life. He was a fisherman. Uh, he lived right next to the Sea of Galilee. So, so Peter never got up in the morning and, and prayed or had to think about what was going to happen on any given day. He knew he'd be getting up and preparing things so that later that afternoon he could go fishing. 
And our encounter today actually starts off with one of those mornings after Peter had been out fishing all night long. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So just imagine if we're, if we're starting off as the first scene in a movie, opening scene, Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, along the shore of the lake, and he's teaching. We don't know exactly what he was teaching, but that was his custom. He taught the crowds. And as was custom, or as normal, the crowds were, were crowding in almost so close, almost claustrophobic around him, and they were hanging on his every word. But not everybody was hanging on his every word. Peter, the star of this show, the, the one the entire passage is about, is disinterested. He's, he's busy. He's working on his to-do list. Peter's washing his nets. You ever get that way? It's too busy? Overwhelmed, like there's, there's too many things on the list. I'll get to that later. I'll engage with God later. Maybe even today, you're here in this place, you're here in your room, and, and you're preoccupied. Your mind may be somewhere else. I just want to give you a heads up because that's exactly where Peter was when he encountered the Messiah in a powerful way. Peter just wanted to live a normal life, has got a job, he's got a family, he's got a plan, and Jesus is about to mess all of that up. Peter's disinterested in what's being said, but Jesus hijacks his boat. Verse 3, he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He just climbs aboard Peter's boat. Peter's washing the nets, doing his thing, and Jesus steals his boat. He's like, hey man, I, I need to, can I, I'm just going to do this, right? They're crowding around, I need to teach these people. And what was Peter going to say? No. You see, this wasn't Peter's first encounter with Jesus. He's, Jesus has been to his house. He actually healed his mother-in-law, so I guess Peter kind of owes him, right? I mean, I'm assuming their relationship is okay. And so he lets him aboard. But you can bet he's muttering under his breath. Seriously, dude, today I'm washing these nets. I just want to go home. I just want to get some sleep. And Jesus gets done teaching the people from the boat. In verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, this story lends itself to really being visual in your mind's eye, right? Just imagine, here's the traveling rabbi is telling the professional fisherman, hey, let me teach you how to fish. I've just hijacked your boat, I've ruined your day, I've stolen your sleep, and now I'm going to teach you how to do your job. And not only that, put out into deep water. So Peter, let's get away from the shore where we normally fish because this is where the fish are. And let's do it in the middle of the day because no one fishes at this time because fish are simply not biting at this time. It seems like there might be a reason for this encounter that's well beyond fishing. Jesus seems to want to get Peter alone in the middle of the lake where it's quiet, away from the crowds, away from the noise, away from the busy. You ever sat in the middle of a, a lake in a boat? There's this eerie quiet, right? And then after a bit, you can, you can really start to hear. You start to hear the wind. You can hear the subtle lapping of the water up against the side. And what Jesus does with Peter might just be what Jesus wants to do with you. Hey, let's get away from the noise. 
Let's, let's get away from the busy. Let's get to the quiet where we can spend some time and, and talk. Isolation isn't always a bad thing. It can be a place of transformation. And the quiet is often the place where we meet Jesus or where he takes us deeper in relationship with him. And really the picture is Jesus taking Peter out of the world so he can take some of the world out of Peter. And maybe for the first time in weeks, maybe even months, he's quiet. But make no mistake about it, in this moment in our story, Peter's exhausted. And he's disappointed. Fished all night, hadn't caught anything. I imagine he's a little frustrated that Jesus is telling him to do something that he knows in his own rational mind isn't going to work. If you were to make an equation out of this, it might be isolation plus exhaustion plus disappointment equals an encounter with God. Just a quick sidebar. Is anybody else comforted by that? Uh, Exhaustion? Isolation? Disappointment is a place where I can meet Jesus? Well, sweet, (laughs) because those words could describe me on any given day. Maybe, maybe you too. Put out into deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. I just got done washing these nets. I'm exhausted. I'm depleted. I'm at the end of my rope. Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And here's how Peter responds in verse 5. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Maybe kind of a jab at Jesus, like, hey man, we know how to do our job. And then Peter speaks the most, the the life-changing, the five words that changed his life forever. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. But at your word, but because you say so, Lord, I don't get it. I don't agree. I have major doubts that this is going to work. I just washed these nets, and now I'm going to have to wash them again. All my fishermen friends are standing on the shore questioning and wondering why in the world and what is this guy doing out there. But because you say so. Five words that changed the course of Simon Peter's life and the same five words that would change the course of yours but because you say so. What's interesting about this scene is this isn't like a moment of clarity for Peter where he's confronted with some truth and he changes his mind and goes, oh, I didn't know that, and he, he changes course. It wasn't like Peter believed that there was a, a great number of fish under the boat that were ready to swim into the nets like, hey, I trust you and I think you're right. This, this wasn't that moment for Peter. Rather, this was a moment of simple obedience, This was a moment centered on a step of faith that changed the course of Peter's whole life. A step of faith founded on the word of God. But because, Jesus, you say so. And it's the same for us. You see, the life you long to live, the dreams you long to see come to pass, the deepest longings of your soul are found in obedience to one who wove your very soul together. And if Peter says no in this moment, we're not reading this story. Peter says no, he doesn't become a disciple. Peter says no, he, he never preaches. He never brings the gospel to the Gentiles. He, in fact, he, he just walks away sad. But that's not Peter's response. His response is different. His response is, but because you say so, those are words of discipleship. I don't see it, I don't agree, I don't fully understand, but I trust you. Is that your response to Jesus? I mean, there's a lot of things in Scripture where we read and we go, eh, 
forgive them. Not once, not seven times. Forgive them 70 times, seven times. And you're like, <laughs> we're supposed to calculate that? Now, because, because you say so. You read that an invitation to the life you really want is, through, is found in giving your life away. Well, that doesn't make any sense, but because you say so. Or the path to greatness is actually through serving, uh, through, through things like washing feet. Is your response, well, that's insane, that'll never work, or is it, but because you say so. And we hear things, love your enemies. Don't be angry. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. The command to approach every difficult situation in your life with joy, trusting that Jesus not only holds your today and your tomorrow, but your forever is your response to him, Jesus, you just, you can't possibly understand the burdens I'm under. You couldn't possibly understand what I'm going through or, or, or what's going on. Or is it but because you say so? What's your response when the words of God seem, well, <laughs> a little crazy? Because here's the thing, if we only hear Jesus inviting us to do the things we agree with, we may not be listening very well. Our story continues in verse 6. When they had done so, when they let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I, I love, I love in, in stories like this, in the, in the scriptures, there's so many different layers of things. There's so many little details. I mean, just think about the nets in this story. First, Peter is cleaning them. He's disinterested. And, and then he lets them down, but he's reluctantly doing that. And now he brings them up and he's like, man, thanks a lot. These nets were perfectly good. And now they're broken. Uh, by your blessing. And sometimes that's the way the blessing of the Lord works. Sometimes the blessings of God uh, wreck something in our lives, but for the good. You see, because now the way we were doing life can no longer be, be the way we continue doing life, because God's changing things and will never be the same again. Verse 7, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. It's funny, I read that and I go, oh, just like Peter's life. <laughs> His life, the way it had always been, it sank on this very day. This simple fisherman who was willing to do what seemed outrageous, even ridiculous, let down the nets he had just washed in the middle of the day after not catching anything all night long simply because Jesus said so. And the outcome was... Miraculous. It was from ridiculous to miraculous. What about you? Give 10%. Wait until you're married. Forgive her. Offer to serve. Don't be afraid. Ask for help. Stop doing that. Trust the Lord. I don't know if I can. But because you say so. You see, when you're willing to obey the Lord with what you may think is ridiculous, you get to see him do what you could only describe as miraculous in your life. And the step in faithful obedience leads to blessing and astonishment. The step of surrendering your will to the will of Jesus uh, leads to the abundant life he has for you, drenched with joy, filled with grace, but there's more. You see, when you encounter Jesus, you also get a close-up look of yourself. 
Our story goes on, Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. And so Peter sees the blessing after the obedience, and he falls on his face in a boat full of fish. Like, again, I want you to see this in your mind, right? We kind of just read through that and go, yeah, of course you did. Just want to picture this, right? So the boat's 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, filled with fish flapping around, screaming for air. Jesus looking at Peter with this look that says, I told you so. And Peter bowing down turning this fish-filled boat into an altar of worship. And he cries, go away from me. I'm not worthy. I recognize you're the Lord. I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm a sinful man. And see, whenever you see God clearly, we start to see ourselves accurately, and it leads us to a place of, woe is me. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to even stand in your presence And here's where obedience leads Peter, and it's where it will lead us also. We start to see the blessing, we acknowledge the activity of the Lord, and obedience leads to a place of recognizing our own unworthiness and refocusing our worship. It leads to a place of repentance, right? Turning from a life that was all about me and my agenda and stepping into the life that God is calling me to, repentance. And it will always, always, always begin with a renewed awareness of who God is and who I am. And so it stands to reason that if we never see Jesus clearly, we'll never fully obey him fully. And Peter says, go away from me. And did you see Jesus' response? Aren't you grateful for Jesus' response to Peter? It's the simple response is, I'm not going anywhere. Grateful because that's his same response to you and me. You see, recognizing our brokenness is not a disqualifier for discipleship. It's actually a prerequisite. Coming to this place of woe is me and get away from me, I'm a sinful person, is not something that disqualifies me from following God. It's something that actually has to happen in order for me to follow God. And that's where Jesus takes Peter, and that's where Jesus takes us, expecting condemnation but getting compassion. Expecting rejection and receiving an invitation and so in the end, Peter says, or Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. In verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You remember the nets? First, Peter's washing them. Then he's letting them down. Then he's pulling them up, and they're all breaking. And now he's leaving them behind. And the nets are this picture of everything that Peter's life was. They were his identity, they were his occupation, they were his security, and then he sees Jesus. When he turns his eyes upon Jesus, when he looks full in Jesus' wonderful face, and and he, he hears this invitation, he recognizes who he is, and Peter leaves it all to follow. Now, I think sometimes we have this imagination that that this isn't possible for us. Right, that, that God somehow looks back in our lives and it's kind of like has this aha moment when he, when he kind of sees all the stuff and all our sinfulness and he says, oh, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know you had that past. I didn't know you were carrying that baggage. I didn't know you had that addiction. I didn't know that was going on. If I would have known that, I would have never chosen you. But that's, 
that's not God at all. I mean, actually quite the opposite because he does see all that and he knows all of it and he chooses you anyway. Out of the darkness to walk with him in his wonderful light. And so the correct response for us is surrender. Our response is to surrender to his choosing, surrender to him being Lord and leader, laying down our nets and laying down our security, laying down our future, our dreams, our our family, our, our whatever, falling at his knees in surrender and following him. And like Peter, your encounter with Jesus, your obedient confession of but because you say so leads to a place of blessing and worship into a new life, walking every day with the Savior. As, as I watched this encounter kind of unfold in my Bible, I, I had some questions. Some questions I found myself asking myself. <laughs> and so I thought I'd ask them of you too. Are, are there any nets you need to leave behind? Is there something you need to put down because he says so, so that you can follow him? Because a life you and I long for is brought about by obedience, the obedience that God calls for. And in this short encounter, Jesus moves Peter from a place of controlling his life to a place of surrender, laying down his nets. Jesus moves Peter from condemnation, woe is me, to a place of worship. You are God. He moves Peter from this place of like logic and rationale. I've got to understand it. I've got to plan for it. I've got to fully be able to grasp this in order to do anything with it. From there to this miracle, I never expected that. And it all started with five words. But because you say so. I want you to see how this scene may have unfolded in real time. And and as you encounter Jesus in in this scene in just a moment, won't you let him move you today too? Check this out. These parables I tell make sense to some, not to others. Be patient. That is all for today. I have some business to attend to with my new friend. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. Thank <laughs> you. 
brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We've, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. For more information about The Crossing, visit thecrossingde.com or download the mobile app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Music for today's podcast is from artist Sounds Like Sander, under license from soundstripe.com.